This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PD Pop, and my co-host, Val Heffelfinger. That's me, getting on the level. Is here with us. Val is on the level, and it is a level that I can appreciate because I am finally healthy. Val is healthy, and I am very sorry that we I haven't been on the podcast last week. Uh, last week... I was very sick. Papa Nurgle spread his love to me. Uh, I accepted it fully and graciously in the form of hugging my small demon spawn of Nurgle, my child. Um, she's repeatedly gotten me sick since Delvio. Um, so unfortunately, last week I succumbed. This week, we're a little bit late. This is Tuesday, but here we are. We're back. We're strong. And we've got a great slate of episodes lined up for you guys leading up to Adepticon and beyond. You know, right. you guys took a day for your presidents, and up here in Ontario, we took a day for family. That's right, it's family day in Ontario, Canada. Yeah, that, that's that's so much better than President's Day. Uh, I don't know, I think it's the laziest name of a holiday that's ever been named. <laughs> I mean, President's Day is pretty pretty lazy, too. Bad, that's badass, man. You know how cool presidents are? Like, would, I'm family day? It could be about my uncle, for all I know. I think families are cooler than presidents, but that's just me. Maybe if I had a cooler president, you know, maybe I would have felt better. Maybe I would have felt differently about this day four years ago, um, or a hundred years ago. I don't Dude, know. you just gotta read, just read about Teddy Roosevelt, and like, you could have just called it Teddy Roosevelt Day, and you'd be Teddy good. Ro- Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he's not even like in my top five favorite U.S. presidents. Let's move on with this conversation. <laughs> All right, fine, fair enough. Enough with the U.S. politics. Let's talk about some tournament news. Uh, we're going to talk about specifically. Not tournament news, but what we're going to talk about in the tournament news. Val did his research, went into the wild, wild west of post-LVO 40k, and has come back with results from the Wet Coast GT in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, We've got a surprise appearance from a long-lost 40k pro, who's the Glass Cannon GT, and then uh, GW tournament, Heat 3 in Nottingham, which which is... um, always very interesting it's always interesting to see what the gw tournaments metas are so um, the last one we talked about lawrence baker won with gilliman and a, a bunch of assault cannon razorbacks uh, and so, then we didn't talk about heat two but we got heat three we did we we completely ignored heat two uh but no it wasn't a good heat wasn't a good heat it was you know there's a lot going on then. <laughs> and then of course the main topic you guys already know what it is it's 
essentially Eldar 101. We're going to talk about the specifically the top Eldar lists that you are most likely seeing and probably losing to at, at tournaments, though maybe not. But the Eldar win ratio, win-loss ratio is very high right now. Um, so most likely people are losing to these Eldar lists. So we're going to talk about what makes these lists good, some strategies to beat them, some tactics that you guys can build into your lists to be able to handle not just Eldar lists, but those style of lists in general, because they are a very specific style and they're geared towards preying on a specific part of tournaments, um, which we'll talk about later. So, and you know what? Number one rule, I mean, number one way to handle the Eldar list is just go all into it, the LVO. You'll never play them. That's true. If you, you go into it, the LVO, four, boom, that's automatic four and two right there. Val Heffelfinger. That's, that's what he did. Handing out nuggets. Handing out nuggets of knowledge. Before we jump into that, I want to give a quick shout-out to my man, Nick Nadavati, Mr. LVO winner, Mr. ITC champ, started a new blog at brownmagic.com. Uh, origin of the name, he, he goes by Nick Brown on Facebook. Brown is, is kind of his, his thing. It's a funny, funny nickname that he goes by. Um, so brownmagic.com. Uh, I definitely lolled when I read it. And it's it's only been around for a week, and I, I really like what he's putting out. I, I, I think it's, it's very good. And you can definitely tell that Nick Nadavati is a guy who knows 40K, who knows competitive I, 40K. I love I love what what the energy that the LVO win has given Nick Nanavati. This guy has been on every podcast, yes. except this one. Uh, he true. has just been out there talking 40k. Started his own web page. I don't know, like the guy's won a million tournaments for whatever reason. This is the one that has got him a public persona. This is fantastic. And and he's been chasing this forever. Right, Nick Nadavati, he's already won Adepticon, he's won Nova, won the Invitationals at Nova. Like, he's, this is the the last big frontier, I feel, for Nick. Um, maybe maybe outside of an ETC win, uh, though he was on that fabled US ETC team with Ben Moley, uh, who are, they're kind of like our American heroes that you see. I believe they got third, third place or fourth place, um, which for the American team, placing at the ETC is phenomenal. Uh, that's a really great placing, but uh, yeah, Nick Nick is he's got something I, I'd say argue his white whale. Um, the the brown man has gotten his white whale, and the brown whale, the brown whale, so to speak. Uh, and yeah, if you guys want Nick on, uh, he was interviewed on Signals from the Frontline. So for those of you who are listening on Podbean and subscribed to our iTunes, you guys already listened to that interview uh, with Nick Nadavati and Reese. I, it was very good. It was very fun. Very fantastic. Important. He was on. Uh, he was on the Long War, actually, long right war. after the LVO. The, a, a rare, good interview on the on the Long War. They don't interview a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, uh, there's uh, unfortunately though, uh, Nick is threatening to get into the podcast business, and at that point, we will just have to withdraw our support. <laughs> no, no, no way. Maybe. What? It depends Dead on to me. It, it depends on uh depends on how how many competitive for because I, I don't think we could compete with the. Nick Nadavati. We might have to buy him out. You know, Nick Nadavati would tell you that you you've, you can't just give up like that. But we digress, <laughs> of course. True. All right. Next thing I wanted to give a shout out to is a an update on the Alex Fennel charity donation that happened. Uh, there was a live stream with Mark Merrill from co-founder of Riot Games, Reese, and Alex uh, live streamed, basically giving Alex a sportsmanship award. 
uh, and the money, and it was it was this grand hurrah, a lot of pomp and circumstance. And GW, if you haven't heard, threw in another five thousand dollars into this donation. So we have five thousand dollars from Mark Merrill and League of Legends, five thousand dollars from Alex Fennell's job that he works at, and then another five thousand dollars from GW, all being donated to this children's hospital that came out of this this event at the LVO live on Twitch, this perceived terrible, you know, unsportsman-like thing that happened, and now we have this great $15,000 donation going to a children's hospital. It's amazing. I wanted to give it a quick shout-out. It, it gives my heart a warm, fuzzy feeling, and it's just awesome. It's it's what competitive 40K brings to the table in terms of uh, what it can do for the community um, and the positives of, of what can come from having a tournament circuit and supporting local tournaments, you know? So this could have happened, obviously it happened at the LVO, but it could have happened at Adepticon, could have happened at Nova, GW's one of their uh, heats, you know, a small tournament that could have gotten bigger. Um, it's it's just amazing that, that we have this program and, and these programs and this avenue, Twitch specifically, uh, to show people tournaments and how people can be the best at, their best that they can possibly be at tournaments. And you know what? I'd like to I'd just like to point out that uh, he got it uh, playing his own way. You know, he he played to a stand that he felt he could he could stand behind and feel good about, and he didn't he didn't kowtow to, to to the moment. He just played his own game, and I think that's a great takeaway for anyone listening to this, um, and uh, should be exemplified. Um, yeah. All right. Finally, subscribe to the Best Coast Pairings Player app if you haven't already. If you play Warhammer Shadespire, or X-Wing, or Age of Sigmar, or any game that requires a bracket with a pairing system, just subscribe to the BCP app, give it a shout-out, tell your TOs about it. it. It makes a world of difference. It really does help. It's a great tool, and I can't give those guys enough support and love. Subscribe if you want to, if you really love what they put out. If you haven't seen anything about the Best Coast Pairings app, uh, go there. It's not just for 40k. And that's that's pretty much it. One final thing: Are we allowed to Are we allowed to say that we're sponsored by BCP at this point? Like, I know they don't sponsor <laughs> us, but can we just say that this is like that we're brought to you by BCP because we couldn't do this without them? You know, I I would say that we we are brought to you by BCP. They they are a an honorary sponsor, just like how Frontline Gaming is an honorary sponsor. Frontline Gaming play everywhere your everyday place for tabletop gaming needs, painting commissions. Secondhand shop stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would say that, yeah, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't be here without what, without Reese and Frankie and the BCP guys. So I'd, honorary sponsors. I think they'll get mentions in every episode. No worries. Okay, let's go ahead and go directly into tournament news. I'm really excited to talk about this. We've got three brand new tournaments to talk about right after the Las Vegas Open. Val did some research and take it away with the wet coast gt yeah we're uh we're gonna get wet and wild out at the wet coast gt it's uh it's a gt out <clears throat> pardon me on the west coast in vancouver british columbia canada um formerly actually held uh, in the summer months so this is actually uh the second wet coast gt i think in about six months um, they moved it so that it's not uh, conflicting anymore with the uh, Attack XGT, also in the neighborhood. I think that one's in Kamloops. Um, these things draw, you know, major size numbers. Uh, the West Coast got up to, I think, over 60 players. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was by the looks of it, a really fantastic event. It was won by 
uh, Prince Rupert Campbell with a list that we all know and love, and we'll be talking about later the Eldari. Um, uh, he had a very stock, uh, at this point, uh, list, very similar to what Nick Nanavati was running, um, and his opponent, his opponent, uh, his opponent, Tony. Um, some notables, though, in second place was a Tau, um, army list with units other than commanders. It had hazard suits. It had a Yavara. It had Vespids. It went four, one, and oh. So it had no losses and one drop. Pretty cool. Uh, third place was Nicholas Freezy with uh, basically Death Company and Mortars. Uh, not a bad combination, in my opinion. Honorable mention goes to podcast nemesis Alexander McDougal, who went 4-1 and one with his uh, a modified version of the list he beat me and Jeff Robinson with at the LVO. Uh, I think he brought in some uh, extra hive guard on this one. I'm making that up, though. He can correct me later. Uh, his list uh, comprised of uh, one hive tyrant, a ton of warriors, and a massive pair of balls. Uh, when we move on to uh, the Glass City GT, this oh, was just on. this past weekend. Oh, go ahead. Before we move on to the Glass City GT, Alex McDougal, yes. if you go to Adepticon, seek me out. I want to play you. Uh, <laughs> I need to avenge Jeff and Val and or add another notch to your tier. I'm not going to let you do that. He cannot go 3-0 and against the podcast. <laughs> I That's just not fair. Um but, uh, He's gonna start playing at narrative events so he can go play Sean. Go like it's not good. Hunt, hunt Sean out. <laughs> <laughs> but but Alex McDougal, <clears throat> quick shout out to you. Challenge if you're going to Adepticon, uh, hopefully we play each other onto the Glass City GT. And just because I don't want to uh, I don't want to mess this up. Nicholas Freezy actually was the uh, was the one playing Tau. It was Gareth Hunt in third with uh, the Blood Angels list for Wet Coast. Um, getting out to Glass City. This is an event I went to last year. It happened last year just before the LVO. This year they moved it uh, past, so it's a, an early season event now. Uh, the organizer there at the Toledo Game Room. Um, Wanted to put a bit of a different spin on it. I believe they – I'm not sure actually what mission set they ran, but I do know that they did uh, battle point scoring, and they also had some comp involved as well. So this wasn't a stock ITC tournament, um, but it does attract a lot of people from the Adepticon meta uh, because it's in uh, Toledo, Ohio? 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 Yeah, Ohio. And as a result, uh, you know, you get some really good players there. This year we had um, – None other than Alan Pajama Pants. He came in first place. He was playing uh, Eldari, big shocker. So, again, theme of the show, Eldari. Um, and unfortunately, these guys didn't post their list to BCP, so we only saw Joshua Death, who basically tied in battle points, did wind up coming in second uh, with a modified version of his, quote, Death Blossom, uh, which involves uh, essentially splitting pink horrors and uh, spawning lots of uh, poxwalkers. Uh, good times. This though, this list though, did not bring the Achilles strong point, which made me sad. But maybe that was a, a decision he made based on how uh, things were looking uh, in that in that particular tournament format. Um, you had um, honorable mention goes out to Brad Chester, a well-known name out there in fourth place. Um, third place was Brian Hancock. Uh, I'm sure a great notable guy. I haven't met him. Um, going on, uh, any any comments about Glass oh, City? Oh yeah, absolutely. So so one thing I want to point out, and this is something that that we always debate about in the office of Frontline Gaming, um, just because we we deal with so many tournaments and questions and rules 
inquiries, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that's the question of battle points. Uh, Win-loss record versus battle points. Just want to know your guys' opinion as listeners. What do you think? Because in, in this case, Alan Pajama Pants and Josh Death tied. But PJ Pants got first place, I imagine, off of... Um, I don't know. I don't know how he got the tiebreaker uh, over Josh Death. Obviously, their, their five points doesn't make that much of a difference. But PJ Pants, with a 4-1 and one record actually lost to Josh Death, the only undefeated player at the event, right? So P- Pajama Pants has only lost to Josh Death. They tie in battle points, but Josh gets second place, and PJ Pants has a worse strength of schedule and a worse record. Um, so I don't know I don't know how PJ Pants gets first place there um, from tiebreakers that I can see from BCP. Uh, so it's just, that's just kind of curious. That was something I immediately noticed. Um, and maybe... maybe uh, there there are talks of switching to battle points for um uh, to combat slow playing in that if if you don't get a lot of battle points because you're playing slow because you're only getting to turns 1 and turn 2 like too bad uh you know so it, it's just it's kind of an interesting dynamic here i just wanted to point out and also i was going to mention Bradchester as well Bradchester 4-0 the man only losing essentially losing to Josh Death as well um pretty much being cockblocked by Josh Death to getting first place Right, and they had a close game, a 26 to 24 game. Um, so Josh, this is actually a brilliant performance by Josh Death, and that he had to beat PJ Pence and Brad Chester to tie for best battle points. Um, so yeah, the, the the battle points conversation is interesting. They got into it a bit on on frontline gaming, uh, I guess just last last week or signals from the frontline. Yep. And uh, you know, Frankie came and he he said some stuff about you know it it, it promotes a smash mouth style of play where you're basically looking to table the opponent. And uh, I I I don't know when you look at the way ETC lists are built because ETC also uses a battle points for the most part format and not win loss. Um, you do tend to see those spammy go for the tabling type builds. Um, so maybe it does encourage that, but is that necessarily a bad thing if you are trying to shorten games? Um, one thing though that, that, you know, I, I don't necessarily see how it's a solution to, to slow play, if only because, you know, you might get a slow player and they might rob you of the chance. Of finishing that tournament, and again, there's all the stuff about moving your your opponent along, helping them to go faster, all that stuff. But if someone wants to drag it out with you, or just isn't a top player who can move very quickly, you know, you can be handicapped for something outside of your control. So that was yeah. kind of the initial thing that I saw, um, you know, with that. But battle points is used widely in all kinds of formats. Interestingly, uh, going to use this as a brilliant segue into something we like to call the Grand Tournament Heat 3 in Nottingham, England. This is an official uh, uh, Games Workshop-sponsored event. This is where we get the term GT from the mothership itself. Grand Tournaments uh, no longer run in North America these days, uh, but they're starting to do it again overseas. So they've already run two heats, as we were joking about in the beginning. Uh, In the first heat and second heat, 40 players from each of those get to go on to a third event, I guess fourth event actually, uh, in May. That's the actual grand tournament. These are the qualifiers. Uh, People came out last weekend. There were 83 players for a five-game event. Um, They played the Eternal War missions. I believe they used the chapter approved, or at least some of the chapter approved Eternal War missions in this. And the reason I use it as a segue is, interestingly, they use a win-loss format. Um, and their soft scores are pretty, um, how shall I say, uh, shallowly weighted. So 
there's a favorite opponent vote that you can do. You can vote for two of your uh, you can vote for for your favorite opponents throughout the weekend, and you can also vote for your favorite army uh, in appearance that you played throughout the weekend. Those votes are added to your battle score, uh, and um, that's your grand tournament score. So as a result, the top you know the the, the top players actually pretty much descend in order of their battle points. Um, and, um, it's not really skewed that much by the soft scores. The, uh, the battle was by far the, the, the most heavily weighted thing in this tournament. Um, and what a shocker. This one actually is a shocker, uh, in, in what armies and factions finished, uh, one, two, three, because it went one chaos, maybe not too shocking three months ago. However, two and three went to the orcs folks. That's right. Two podium finishes for orcs faction. Uh, I thought this was brilliant. Uh, clearly, these guys know what's up, and uh, kudos to them. And so who won? It was uh, Richard Guacan. He ran cultists with berserkers, uh, Morty and obliterators in his chaos list. Um, Morgan Cole came in second, and he brought to boys. He was running 120 boys swarming across the field with Cam K, uh, sorry, custom mega cannons and tank busters. Also, rarely sighted two trucks, the most expensive dedicated transport in the game, for what it is, an insane thing. This man brought two of them. Apparently, it worked well for him. Courtney Rhodes came in third with the uh, with the bronze medal for the day. However, um, probably not a lady, which kind of made me sad. And nonetheless, <laughs> didn't respond to my Facebook messages anyway. Uh, so same result for that one. Uh, fourth list, though, was an interesting uh, Tyranids list uh, by James McKenzie, uh, who is the ITC UK regional champ from last year. Um, he also gave me some great insights about the overall event, um, and he was running uh, actually a lot of uh, Gene Stealer and Shooting Heavy. Um, so again, we've seen you know, two Tyranid lists now that did actually place in very similar positions in very large tournaments, um, not running you know, Fly Run Spam, which is actually what you're hearing a lot about uh, from coming from overseas. Um, so yeah, the uh, sort of an interesting top four. Some of the takeaways I saw... Uh, that were also kind of interesting to me. And maybe this is influence coming from our side of the ocean. I don't know. But just that the uh, one of the main comments I saw was that terrain was vastly improved. Good. So uh, a lot of the uh, GW tables in the earlier heats, if you saw them, were a lot of, uh, what do you call, area, area terrain, you know, like forests and, and stuff, you know, like uh, low ruins and these types of things. Um, whereas it seems like they've been hard at work painting a lot of those uh, munitorium crates um, you know, bastions, these types of line of sight blocking terrain. And so there's a lot more of a dense amount of terrain on the tables, which apparently made it a little bit, a uh, little bit better for people to play on, which is great. Yeah. So, so it, looking at these results, I, I want to highlight a few things. Um, first and foremost, uh, I think that the, the quote unquote standard top tier list uh, winning the event makes sense. Um, it's a chaos list, and I think that in pure 40k, if you go out of the book missions, I think chaos are the best faction, um, with maybe Eldar being a close second. But uh, just looking at the the missions in chapter approved, and looking back at the eighth edition mission rulebooks, the objective markers are all scored at the beginning or at the end of your turn. They're scored at the end of player, mm -hmm. which is huge. That that's that is a dynamic in the game that essentially eliminates the reason to go to reason to go second period. Like, why would you ever want to go second when when you could go first, score first, and get first blood and kill first? Like, it's just, 
the point swings are still huge. Um, Richard Guacan didn't really optimize his list to go first. Like it, it's not like it was like five drops, right? Um, but it, it's just, it's just that's something that I wanted to point out. Um, now, having said that, it's kind of surprising that two orcs and Tyranid players made the top four, uh, considering they're not, those armies traditionally don't do well going first. Uh, Tyranids with Gene Slayer Colt probably do it a lot better because Tyranids can alpha strike. Um, I don't yeah. think you don't, said you don't have James McKenzie's list, right? Oh, I absolutely have James McKenzie's list. Um, it was, um, like I said, it involved a, a lot of Gene Stealers. Uh, yeah. He also used some that were. Um, Gene Stealer Cult and made use of the, either Gene Stealer Cult's, I'm not sure if it's a stratagem or a relic uh, from Chapter Approved, which basically gives them a very good chance of uh, using the Cult Ambush table to come up you know, in a really good position to, to get in a close combat. So he was able to tie up things at the top of turn using that. Um, he also, uh, he, he basically brought a, an army, his idea, he said, was, was to be able to tie up things in the mid-table in close combat, give them a good hug, uh, so that he can then go in and, and clear out screens after that. Um, but as a result of having all that nice line of sight blocking terrain, he was able to hide his hive guard um, and just obliterate stuff and get into close combat, you know, unscathed in a lot of cases. So it sounded like, you know, the train kind of helped him out, and um, even though it was kind of counter what he was expecting. Right, and he actually he did a smart thing. Uh, being able to spread out across the board and take over the board, board control, that's something that you you really want to do, and it shows in James McKenzie's tertiaries. Uh, he got four Slay the Warlord, four times he got Slay the Warlord out of five games, um, with three times Linebreaker and three times First Blood. The only scoring Linebreaker three times is kind of surprising, considering his list, but from what you told me, it doesn't sound like a very durable list. It just sounds like a, a very dynamic glass cannon list uh, that definitely puts your opponent on the back foot. Um, but if you look at Richard Guacan, the Chaos player, who won his tertiaries, he got Slay the Warlord four times, and he got Linebreaker and First Blood every single time, every single game. So just the fact that he got First Blood every game is like, it's, that kind of shows just like how, why, why other tournaments tend to use their own missions and their own styles. Um, but at the same time, he definitely built a list to take advantage of, of always getting First Blood and always getting Linebreaker. Because his list it gets in your face, it, it knows how to null deploy, and then it stays in your deployment zone, keeps you busy, and then just the simple fact of, of being anywhere on the board, wherever you want, just means that you're going to get Slay the Warlord more often. Because there's less places for the Warlord to hide. Um, which is yeah, also true of James it, McKenzie's list. Yeah, I think uh, it's also key to point out that this list and the other Tyranids list both are um, focused heavily on Tyranid shooting. Um, one of the uh, so some of the units that um, James McKenzie used here actually were some interesting ones. Uh, Exocrine, uh, you know, very big fire support type unit. Um, the Biovores, I think everyone's pretty comfortable with. He had five of them in this list. He would say he says he would take more if he possibly could. One unit I think that's really interesting you never see out there, or at least I haven't seen much. Uh, I've seen the idea floated is the Malanthrope. Uh, which is basically like a suicide bomb that runs uh, into the, the opponent's lines and uh, can do a lot of mortal wounds. Um, so that's just some of his you know, shooting components. So if he's able to tie up you know, units that, um, especially with, uh, with the High Fleet Kraken ability, which is, where, which is what uh, at least one of his unit of 20 Gene Steelers had, he's able to fall out of combat and then charge anyway. Um, so he can tie up a unit, stay safe in combat, drop out of it, shoot it to pieces, jump right back in. 
he also made use of uh, of what are called, I think they're meiotic, meiotic spores. spores. Meiotic annoying. spores, which, yeah. So they're 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 fantastic because uh, they deploy. They're not quite the best kind of infiltrate because they actually do it after deployment, but before the be- game begins. So he can use uh, meiotic spores to either uh, establish a lot of board presence, block out the board, make sure he's got room for his guys to. To, to, to come on the board or deep strike on. Um, or if he sees a hard target that he wants to go get, he can use uh, a Tyranid Stratagem to double move them. As long as they get into three inches uh, by the uh, by the charge phase, uh, they blow up and do a lot of mortal wounds. So the Maddox Spores gave him some flexibility there too. He also made one of the Maddox Spores as a Warlord, um, so, so they didn't give up Warlord. So he never gave up Warlord once in any of his games um, because in his army you know, list, I... the Maddox Spores is Warlord. That's that's a in these types of missions where there is a warlord, uh, you know, point, you know, giving it to something that either cannot be scored, uh, or um, you know, either you know, or is just very easy to hide. Like I've run, you know, a grad gunner as my warlord in a tournament <laughs> before, and I never gave up. I never gave up warlord. He was just too hard to get. Um, but I do wonder about this particular interpretation, and I guess I can't, <laughs> I can't front on it because this is at you know, like it's I said, it's at the event. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting that, uh, you know, sometimes he would blow up his own Maiotic Spore, obviously, you know, because that's what they do, or they'd be killed, but spores don't count for any kind of victory points, and I guess that's what they hung the hat on, is yep. that it could give up Warlord. Yeah, it also um, can score um, objectives, Yeah. so depending on, on your objective, if you're playing a certain mission, um, your Warlord, I think there's one mission where your HQ choices matter, for scoring, or is it your warlord? That might also be a Sigmar. I'm not sure. The point is, is that it, it can't, it can be bad because you don't get a warlord trait. But in general, at an event like this, I would probably do something similar if I had a, a unit that didn't give up points, like a Cyclops demolition vehicle. I would just drop it down and blow it up. Be like, okay, 60, huh. 60 points, you don't get a warlord. Sorry. And occasionally he might blow something up if, if I don't think you can kill the Cyclops. Like it, it's just. It's it's kind of an abuse, um, not an abuse. It's kind of a, a loophole manipulation um, that sure. you'll always see people, even people who go to GW heat tournaments um, that aren't you know that aren't uh, not competitive, but uh, they're they're just different. They're just a different brand of of player who goes right where they focus more on best overall and and the hobby and sportsmanship and not just pure competitiveness. It's just and it's it's interesting, uh, you know that that kind of a list building concept. It comes up in a lot of places, especially um, something like the ITC missions. So a lot of people will put a unit of 19 down on the table instead of 20 or or more to avoid giving up two Reaper points. However, a lot of units, um, you know, get a bonus right at 20. Uh, unit of boys gets a gets a bonus at 20. Uh, plague bearers get a, a bonus at, at right at twenty, so that is a that is definitely a trade off that you get. Um, Guardians, we'll be talking about them later. Once you get to twenty, you're able to get two uh, heavy weapons platforms, I believe, in the unit. Um, so there are you know benefits to going over twenty, even though you may think it's better to deny the point. So in this case, obviously, I think. Mr. McKenzie did quite well with his list choices, but he decided that not giving up Warlord was 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 particularly critical. Whereas, you know, there's some great Tyranid Warlord traits there, right? So there's an opportunity cost for that choice, which worked out for him here, but maybe isn't always a no-brainer. Yeah, and I don't think he would if he was playing uh, ETC or or ITC missions. Um, I don't think he would. I think he would make the Hive Tyrant his Warlord, or 
he definitely wouldn't make the the uh, Myotic Sport Warlord. Uh, there's, uh, there e- would be no point. E- etc. Etc. You'd have the argument because they, there's definitely Warlord in etc. But okay, yeah, not enough. necessarily in itc. Yeah. Definitely not in itc. So, real quick before before we move on to the main topic, uh, Eldar did pretty good this this past two weeks. Uh, we had an Inari with Rupert Campbell, obviously one with an Inari list, and uh, PJ Pants one with Eldari, and I would I would bet a lot of money that PJ Pants's Eldar list was very similar to what you saw out of uh, Nick Nanavati, Sean Naden, Brad Chester, that that group. Um, I would bet I, a lot of money that he's that's kind of what he's running. Watch him have watch that he ran nothing but like falcons. Right, and that, something that's weird. actually what he like. He he, he know, ran and we look like complete idiots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I look like a complete idiot, but. But uh, I, I would bet a lot of money that that's what PJ Pants one ran. Um, so once again we had we had two Eldar players uh, do really well at large events, and this is a trend that we're going to see for the foreseeable future, for the next at least the next month, until the FAQ, big FAQ hits, and then we don't know. Uh, so we'll go ahead and talk about Eldar and what you guys can do to beat them and enhance your tournament experience right after this commercial break. Are you looking to promote your event or 40k related product to an audience of like-minded gamers? Try out a sponsorship with Chapter Tactics. For an average industry rate, you can have your tournament, convention, or unique product advertised here in this time slot. If you or someone you know is interested, please email me at frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. Once again, that's frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. And thank you very much for your consideration. And we're back. Eldar. The tricky, tricky Xenos that have been the purge of tournaments everywhere in 40k for the last three editions. Yeah, it's it's been a generation now. It's it's been... There's a whole... Pretty soon there will be a whole generation of 40k players where Eldar have always dominated the top tables. And they're going to be like, what? I'm sure there already is. I I remember... Like in third edition with Eldar, I, I remember my friend playing like a seer council type thing. Like we were just in the basement. We didn't know what the hell was going on. But, you know, Eldar kicked my ass when I was first playing this game. And when I came back to this game, Eldar kicked my ass. And I haven't really I haven't really been exposed to the full Eldar yet in eighth, but I suspect it might be touch and go. Uh, yeah, I, I think that no matter what we see out of GW, I think Eldar are here to stay and that's kind of why i wanted to have this topic uh, not only because eldar dominating right now but also this this is going to be evergreen this is there you're going to have to deal with eldar and the style of list they bring for a while and i i think maybe until ninth edition so yeah you could probably you could probably feel pretty secure just making a really nice sign eldar is good yeah. just putting it up in your game store that's right. that's evergreen content for sure yeah so and how do you beat Eldar? What what is the the Eldar list? Um, so to answer that question, first you can go to Best Coast Pairings and look at the Las Vegas Open tournament results or tournament results from other events and look at an Eldar list in the top eight or the top ten or an Eldar list with one loss or less, right? And you you'll see similar components in all these Eldar lists. Uh, they all have characters, psychic support um, in abundance, shining spears, dark reapers. 
mobility, some sort of durable unit, and uh, now guardians, big unit of guardians. Yeah. They'll have rangers. Yeah. Um, and is there anything I'm missing? That's pretty much it. That's, that's... I, w- I would say, yeah, you you definitely... I mean, if you're not taking Yvrain to be an Ari as long as you possibly can, as long as the rules let this happen, you should be. Yes. Um, she's usually taken because she's the you know cheapest option for uh, you know getting the Yanari benefits. Um, you know, you mentioned Rangers as kind of like that support or chaff unit, uh, but there's also um, you know you often see Sweeping Hawks, which which help give them a little bit of a mobile board presence, uh, let them kill chaff a little bit. Uh, you offhandedly mentioned uh, Wave Serpents. Um, you know, which are probably the most annoying transport in the game at large right now. Um, I just can't believe how hard they are to kill at times. Um, uh, what else did we uh, did we miss? Yeah, the Guardian Blob is kind of a re- more recent innovation, but it's it's a it's a deadly one and oh, yeah. and one that I think you should definitely pay close attention to what they're doing with their Guardians. You know, some some people run you know one large blob. You can even see multiples of that. Um, and then, of course, uh, our friends, the Dark Reapers and Shining Spears. Yeah, and th- there's there's so much there's so much Eldar have at their disposal, and we'll talk about this as we go along. Um, but they, I think, as far as stratagems and having useful stratagems towards uh, protect or uh, I guess enhancing their best units, uh, they have that best ratio out of every codex, right? So not only do they have good stratagems, but the there's Unit-specific stratagems, like the Guardian one, for example, Celestial Shield, um, and I think Cloud Strike. What, what's the name of the? What's the other Guardian? What's the other one that that helps your Guardians out? Anyways, the the one that they all use for the Guardians to to make them shoot better and make them wound better. Make them shoot good. And I mean, you can't underestimate. You can't underestimate uh, just the Unari buff. I, Nick Nanavati, I mentioned that he's been on the, the podcast circuit a lot lately, and he's been shouting a lot about this, just how the basically the equivalence, and I don't know if anyone really thought about this till he put it to words, but the equivalent command points that Unari basically give you is yes. insane. Because, you know, for an army to shoot twice or move twice uh, or, you know, fight twice in combat, you know, that's, those are you know, most armies have a version of that, and it's always two or three command points. So Yunari just uh, de facto give you, you know, 15, 20 command points over the course of a game. Um, so that's a pretty wild insight. And maybe, yeah, we'll, we can talk about a bit later about what we th- see as maybe some potential, you know, nerfs or softenings to the list that we might see in the in the big fact in March. Um, but yeah, that the Yunari before we even start talking stratagems, you know, is setting the Elder up as hyper efficient and able to have you know, just really amplify their output. Yeah. Uh, so, my first thing, my, my big thing that I want to talk about that you guys can do to beat Eldar, to deal with it, is to simply to play conservatively. Uh, it's hard, and that's actually something that you can do in general to just be good at 40k. Uh, if, you, if you ever consistently lose and you're wondering why, and you're finding yourself getting tabled at the top of three, um, bottom of two... Right, and and you don't know what you're doing. Sometimes it's just simply like not doing anything turn one. You should just do that more often, and and position your your units and take board control and and focus less on killing your opponent and more on just increasing your your position for the late game. Uh, and that's definitely what is something you want to do for Eldar. A very specific example that a good friend of mine, James, gave me is that with Inari, they can punish you hard 
if you give them cheap kills in the beginning. So essentially what they do is they, they line up their Shining Spears uh, so that their Shining Spears uh, move and move and uh, turbo charge, tur- turbo boost somewhere, right? So they move 20, I think it's 22 inches. I think they move 16 plus 6. So they move 22 inches, right? Boom, they're there. Uh, they move next to a unit, like a scout unit, a Space Marine scout unit. Uh, they, they kill that unit with Tempest Launchers, Guardians, whatever, and then the Shining Spear unit that moved in advanced does it again. So all of a sudden they have a 44-inch move, and they're threatening to kill an important character, or they're threatening to tie up a majority of your army, um, or they're they're on an objective and you can't get that objective because they're hiding in hi, hiding behind line of sight block terrain or whatever, right? That's that's really only that's really possible only possible in in seriously scary amounts if you start giving them free units to kill. Yeah, that that this, this is a knife that cuts. This is a knife that cuts both ways, actually. But I think looking at, at it from a specific Eldar angle is, yeah, just those units that I think a lot of people have started pretty de facto putting out into sort of the neutral zone there to try and zone things out or, or, or get a quick jump on an objective. You know, those units can be used really nastily by Inari to, like you said, slingshot, get a chance to do, do a free move or to you know, do a you know another shooting attack if that's what they're looking for uh or just lock something up in combat right. you know th- that those little units there are you know can be a liability so you got to think carefully about what you're what you're feeding out there and and for those of you who are who are I know some of you guys are telling me this like well Pablo what about word of the phoenix and and the the stratagem that lets them move in advance and charge or or whatever like i get that they have other ways to do that but the when they use it as an Inari specific, uh, the power from strength from death rule, um, when they use the strength of death rule to do it, th- that means that they're going to devote the powers like word of the Phoenix and stratagems on other units. And they're just, they're making their army wide, their, their whole buff army wide. Right. So if they have three units of shining spears, it's better that you only one moves 44 inches instead of all three or, or whatever, right. The guardians come down and they, they need to get word of the Phoenix off so they could shoot twice instead of just giving them a free unit for them to shoot twice. It's just, it's, it's all about uh, playing conservatively and giving your opponent as little options to to shoot at and choose from. Uh, and yeah. Eldar, and another reason for why this is very important is actually a segue into my the next way to beat Eldar, do well against Eldar. That's to get to the late game. Uh, Eldar, an army that does not do well later on in the game, uh, they. As the you know, they're very easy to kill. They're very easy to whittle down, and as they do that, as they die, they lose their ability to cover the board and get anywhere they need to. That that's that's their their big strength in the early games is that they can they can look at and kill anything that they need to desperately, uh, and they can take over the middle of the board. Um, but if you play really conservatively and kind of just like like Rocky Balboa, it, you know, take those hits and get in with those one two counter punches at the end for the final round you'll find yourself uh able to maybe uh move a scout maybe you move a scout unit so that it's getting line breaker and holding an objective or you have a unit that would normally die and get vaporized turn one uh, and you can redeploy it into their deployment zone where it'll wreak a lot of havoc things like a terminator unit or um a Grey Knight Strike Squad, or or something. There's so many different, right? Orc boys, like twenty boys, or whatever. A unit that that so many so many different factions have access to redeployment now. That it, it's something that you just in general should always consider, right? So yeah, I think one one thing you're hitting like you know big element is don't get shot you know don't present a lot of targets and the safest place in the game is reserves unless you forget to take them out of them right so like 
That is that is the the and no that most things that come out of reserves are obviously deep striking going somewhere on the table where the Eldar probably aren't anymore. Yep. Um, so having reserve heavy armies with either extreme durability or you know just too many wounds to deal with on the table can be a possible way to to give them a hard time. Yeah, and Eldar armies just they simply just don't have the bodies to to cover an entire board and to keep you away from where they don't want you to be. Right? They have a very susceptible backline in the Dark Reapers and the characters that you definitely want to kill, right? They're squishy little insides. You want to kill them. Um, the only, I'd say the one of the main reasons why Eldar are doing so well right now is because slow playing is a thing. And that's something that, that when I was speak to, speaking to some of the top Eldar players and players in my area that I that I talked to, um, and also the top Eldar players at LVO, they're being very real with me in that they weren't intentionally slow playing, but Eldar are so good and so dynamic in those first three turns that they outscore literally every other army. And then before you get a chance to counterpunch them with, like, say, like a guard gun line list, right? Before you get a chance to really do well and finally get up on points on them, the game's over because it's turn three and it's been three hours, right? I mean, that... I I don't know. I I find... I I agree with you that that they're... I mean, the main advantage is that they just have a crazy knockout. <laughs> like, they got a crazy right hook, right? So they're going to be able to either, you know, take out what's important to you or be where they want to be on the table. I think that there's just a good chance that people also concede after, you know, two turns that's, or whatever. That's also you know, they're just getting real. smoked off the board. Right. Uh, the slow play thing might be more uh, when you have, you know, uh, an actual tough matchup for them, and they have to be incredibly careful throughout the game uh, and not step on any landmines. But more, more, most importantly, they're either going to hit you, they're either going to blow your brains out coming out of reserves, so they can hide a lot of stuff off the table, um, or they're going to blow their brains out just right off the top. So if you are sitting on the board and you're just waiting for them to come to you, they're going to rock your world. Yeah, and and there, that's that's the definition of a glass cannon army. That's what they are. They are a, a glass cannon army not just in shooting but in movement and scoring they, they just they do all of their they do all of their action happens at the beginning of the game and not the tail end of the game um and and that's just a, a reality like i'm sure some of you guys um are, are probably don't want to hear this this is the the cold hard truth is that they take advantage of a slower game and games not finishing that's what the faction does right so if you if you think about a glass cannon if it shoots you like ow that really freaking hurts but if you don't have the time needed to walk up to the glass cannon and break it that glass cannon is going to win every single time in a fight right it's just yeah but you, you also can't play you can't play turn four if everything you have is dead either so that's I true mean, and that's why i say play conservatively it's, it's, yeah. it, I, I would never write this off as being driven by slow play. I think this list is just no, deadly. No, it's, it's not, and it's kind of, it's kind of a little bit of everything, right? It's not just slow play. It's not just that they have all these tools. It's not just that the best players are winning them. It's not just that they have the best units. You know, it's not just that so, they, they have the psychic powers. It's everything. It's it's all of that. And the slow make playing them, is just an the, elephant. An element. Let, let's just let, let's just say this. You you see an Eldar player? They don't have a lot of units. Make them play fast. How about that? We say this. <laughs> yeah, dude, that that works too. Yeah. And and I'm not. And no one's saying that Eldar players. I'm not saying that Eldar players are intentionally slow playing. That's that is not that is not what I'm saying at all. But the truth is is that games are not finishing at tournaments. It's just a fact across the board. Everywhere. And a shorter game right. would favor a list that's and, knocking your teeth out. And shorter games turns. favor glass cannon lists. That's that's all yeah. I'm saying. Um. So get it. to combat that play a little faster, nudge your opponent along, as Val said. 
um, and then play a conservative first two turns. The benefit to playing a conservative first two turns is you get more units to work with later on in, in later games as you start whittling away at the Eldar, and you get through your first two turns very quickly because you're playing conservatively. You're not wasting time shooting. Uh, you're, you're not wasting time assaulting and pulling off all these crazy stunts. Uh, you know, you're getting the majority of your game, the game, in later on in, in turns three and turns four. Um, so, and I think, yeah, another thing to just piggyback on that is 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 the is that usually they're not presenting you a hand that you got much to 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 do to it anyway. Yeah. You know, their reapers might be in in transports, the guardians and the and the, and the shining spears might be in the webway, uh, or the reapers. You know, like it's it's not exactly you know on at the top of one. The Eldar might not actually have much for you to do anyway, so being able to survive that, you know, either their alpha or their their second turn beta strike, means that all their cards are now played. So if you can design a list that can at least, you know, be durable enough to get through that, looking at Nurgle, for example, you know, something or Tyranids, Flying Hive Tyrants, um, those types of lists can take a take a punch, but also give it back afterwards. Yeah, and that that's another thing too is if you if you have a list that like exactly Flying Hive Tyrants. Uh, plague drones. If you're running a Nurgle list, um, I can't really think of any orc orc boys, orc hordes. Eldar have a tough time against orc hordes. I think, um, especially if you've got like the banner and uh, the wa banner. Well, actually, not the wa banner. Temp- Tempest, La- boy. Tempest launchers have something to say about that. And, and guardians. I, I think. I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, if you if they have Tempest launchers and and a number to that, they really hurt boys. I think they're hurting in other areas. Of, as an Eldar list, because they can't take everything, so I think you could take advantage of that in different ways. But you're right, you're right. A double, it, a double shooting unit of Guardians is gonna kill a lot. That's gonna a lot kill a lot. Place. Period. That's gonna kill <laughs> a, a lot. That's anything, so right? many shots. Yeah. Um. So moving on, uh, th- this is something personally that for my Adepticon list, because I do plan on running into a lot of Eldar lists. Uh, something I'm personally focusing on that I've been told to focus on. But I decided to tell you guys as well, and that's to target and kill key characters and psychers, and basically attack their their game plan, their which is their psychics, their psychic powers. So it's something just Eldar revolve around. They 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 have their stratagems, their their toolkit of stratagems, and they have their toolkit of psychic powers. Um, so you want to be able to target them, and for me specifically, it's all about killing Evrain. Uh, and then this is just a strategy or a tactic that I plan on using in the game, and that's with my Adepticon list, which I'll talk about after all of this, because I want your guys' input on it. Uh, I, I have Celestine. I, get, I think I have one Gemini that I purchased for her, and my whole purpose, Celestine's whole purpose, is to get into my opponent's face and die. Hopefully she takes out a unit or two, um, but her whole purpose is to die, um, so she can get back up and go as close to possible as Ivrain as I can make her. So, so, so she dies, she gets back up, gets as close to Ivrain as possible, and then uses her double move to get into Ivrain's face and kill Ivrain. Because Celestine should kill Ivrain like eight times out of ten. Right? And then from there, killing Ivrain means I take away Word of the Phoenix, which is the Inari power that lets you use strength from death again. Um, so it gets rid of Word of the Phoenix, it gets rid of a psychic power, possibly their warlord, if they make Ivrain their warlord. Uh, it, it puts a lot of pressure on because if you typically if you look at Eldar players and the with their character positions, their characters aren't really next to hard hitting units, right? Like their shining spears are all the way taking care of other things. Uh, their their uh, exarchs 
uh, or Autarchs, I'm sorry, Autarchs on bikes, those are off dealing with other things. Uh, Dark Reapers are generally hiding and cowardly in a corner, maybe next to Ivrain, so maybe Cells can go over there and take out a squad of Dark Reapers. I think they'd probably kill her. It's just, you. that's my game plan, is, is I'm... Celestine is going to get in there, kill something squishy, and then die, and then go after Ivrain. And that really only works in Adepticon missions, um, because in ITC missions, for example, if I were to do that, uh, Celestine would give me like give up like eight head eight points total, right? She'd give up max mm-hmm. headhunter points and um, Kingslayer points as well. She, she it would just it would just be silly. It'd be like okay, well, you know, I'm I'm giving you eight points or whatever for Celestine who kills Ivrain is worth like yeah. one. Well, she she gives you four points for Kingslayer if she comes back to life and gets dealt a wound, and then she gives you a headhunter point because each of the Gemini is a an eight or an HQ model. Um, are they, are they characters? They're characters, yeah. They're, oh, they wow. they count. It doesn't say it doesn't say with the ICC missions. It doesn't say character unit. It just says characters. And so we rolled it as characters. And uh, it was yes a nerf to Celestine um, a little bit. Um, you know we decided that why why not nerf her a little bit? She's already a very powerful model. Um, and here's here's why I'm showing a perfect example of that because in Adepticon missions there there's no reason not to take Celestine. Uh, because she only gives up one point at most if she's your opponent's warlord. If she dies, she gives up two points because she's 200 points. So she'll give your opponent two kill points when she dies. Uh, but if she's taking out 100, 200 points, especially in Ivrain and another unit, she's easily making her points back and also forcing your opponent to deal with her. She's putting a lot of pressure on your opponent. So so that's just that's just something that specifically for Adepticon missions. Um, but that's a, a strategy that I'm planning on using for my list. Yeah. So essentially, you want to target their characters. You you want to poke at poke their warlocks, kill their farseers, deny their psychic powers. The characters are probably the most vulnerable part of an Eldar list. Uh, so you uh, armies like orcs, chaos, tyranids, armies that can flood the board. Uh, specifically, gene circle in tyranids, but armies that can flood the board and get close to those characters and kill them with high-powered close combat monsters and units, the, the, you, those armies should do really well against Eldar, hypothetically. Yeah, I think uh, killing the killing the characters is you know probably not a, a bad thing. The issue is, I don't know, to me that jumps out on that, and this might be, what you're suggesting might be more specific to Adepticon, I'm not sure, but it's just that like a, these units, I mean, okay, you don't have any buffing units left. You still have stratagems, and the units themselves are good. Yeah. So, like, you look at something like a Dark Reaper, he doesn't really need help, you know? And that's why a lot of, you know, uh, these lists have evolved. Originally, you were seeing these big blobs of Dark Reapers because, you know, that maximizes the buffs you can give them. But really, nowadays, you're seeing, you know, one big blob, you know, to, to either get, you know, um, buffed by a psychic power or from a stratagem. Uh, and then you're seeing three units of three because they're always hitting on threes. They're probably wounding most things on threes, um, and you know you're maximizing the amount of tempest launchers you have in your list. Um, Shining spears probably the most vulnerable to not having you know all those major buffs from especially the psychic side of things. Um, but even still, I mean, if they're Yunari, they're still going to have you know the opportunity to soul burst if if things are getting blown away that are nearby them and all that sort of things. Um, so I would say that you know of the three units. That really make this list go, you know. That would be, you know, the Shining Spears, uh, the Guardians, and, uh, and and the Dark Reapers. Probably the thing that is most able to dictate the game uh, are the Shining Spears because of the ability for them to double move. 
uh, for them to, you know, get into combat and kill. Just just do a lot of damage to just about any targets in the game um, means that they're the thing that are going to be able to go across the table and kill what you have that's very important. And, you know, you might be able to hide from Dark Reapers. Uh, you might be able to zone out a deep striking blob of, of Guardians. But there's pretty much no hiding from a bunch of flying jet bikes that can go, you know, 44 inches across the table and charge you. Um, so to me, I think uh, depending on what the opponent does, like I said, a lot of times those guys aren't even going to be available to shoot. But if they are, you know, Shining Spears have got to be, I think, to me, the linchpin of the list. The other stuff you can you can stiff arm, you can manage, you can lock in combat. That's another big thing. Guardians, uh, Dark Reapers, you can go give them a hug. You know, you know, you just don't kill them, and <laughs> and they're <clears throat> they're stuck in combat. Um, you know, um, the Shining Spears have a good invuln, and they're slippery as hell. So to me, that's that's the unit you probably want to make as your target priority and getting them off the board as soon as possible is the thing that will prevent the your opponent from being able to dictate the game from there. And I don't know. I think you saw a lot in the LVO anywhere, the, 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 as the Shining Spears did, so did the army. And what, what opponents were using the Shining Spears to do was is go out and do the, the heavy lifting, the hard work. Um, everyone's afraid of the Dark Reapers. People are catching – people understand what the – the guardians can do usually, um, but you know, it's those shining spears. I think is is really what you want to go for. Yeah, and and I agree. The shining spears are the the precision sword, the uh, not even sword, like a <clears throat> rapier. Uh, that just they're they're a dagger that you use to assassinate your opponent's game plan, right? And let's talk a little bit more about shining spears because I, I feel like everyone likes to focus on dark reapers and. The Guardian Blob, maybe not the Guardian Blob, but like... Dark Reapers. Dark everyone Reapers talks about Dark Reapers. Specifically what everyone's talking about, you're right. But Shining Spears, they have they have 12, shot, 12 Shuriken Cannon shots each in shooting. It's a 12-inch range, it's not the best, but they're shooting, they're putting out 12 shots uh, that can kind of be power sword attacks. They're AP3 on 6s, so they have pseudo-rending. Uh, they have se 7 attacks. I, I forgot how to math for a second. They have 7 attacks in close combat that are 2 damage AP4, and then when you charge on them, they're strength 8. And they can reroll wound rolls for when attacking monsters and vehicles. So, you know, potentially doing 14, you know, 12, 10 damage to something like Magnus, Mortarian, vehicles, Storm Ravens, Fire Raptors, you know, you know just uh, uh, an expensive unit that you need. Um, and I am specifically looking at Fire Raptors because they, they do such a good job at hunting and killing Fire Raptors. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially for how cheap they are, um, just that—that's what you want to focus on. So that's that's something that you need to when you're building your list and you're worried about Eldar, you need to think about what the Shining Spears are going to go after. Uh, they're they're twin shurikens being shooting twelve shots. It's a bit of a bit of a, a moot. You know, it's not something you have to worry about because they're going to be advancing a lot. They're going to be even though it is assault four, but the minus one to hit is does kind of hurt them a little bit and the 12 inch range it, you might as well you might as well um make it an extra melee attack instead of a shooting attack so 12 inch range is you're going to be able to charge them if they're shooting at you um so when you're designing your list think about things that you want the shining spears to avoid and then push those into your opponent's face and, and that's why i yeah. say hordes do really well because shining spears don't do that well at dealing with hordes not not especially really. Especially like when you when when you talk about board control in this context, the the unit itself will have you know generally speaking a fairly big 
uh, footprint uh, because they're just sort of awkwardly long models. And, um, you know, you know, you usually see them, I guess, what, in units up to around six, sometimes, what, nine. Um, so the um, the thing that you would need in order to really dictate board control is, like, not your average everyday board control. You need to literally be able to block off every inch of the table from those bases, um, and especially when they're coming in from deep strike. So I think a lot of your opponents will be canny enough to know that they need to protect the Shining Spears. So if those things are in reserves and you don't have a chance to hit them in, in at the top of turn one, blocking out the table, zoning it, and really controlling where they can go um, gives you an advantage because it would also hopefully help protect the stuff that you really don't want them coming to get. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, with a four, potential 44-inch move and charge, you know, it's, it is it is a tall order. So, so, and you're right, and so one thing I've considered doing um, for my list is I have infantry squads, and I have characters that I'm desperate to protect, mainly Adeptus, Custodes, Jetbike, Captains, right? Uh, they, they can die to Shining Spheres. Um, it's not always 100% likely, because um, they do have good invuln saves. However, a, a unit of Shining Spheres charging into one of my Adeptus, Custodes, Shield Captains, or Brother Captains... No, shield captains. I was right the first time. Um, is bad. Does spill bad news for me personally. Uh, so one thing you can do if you want to protect characters specifically is you can folk you can surround the character with a bubble of infantry guys, little little dudes that your opponent really doesn't want to waste time shooting at. Uh, make sure they're not on an objective, so they're not valuable to shoot at, except unless your character unless your opponent really wants to kill that character that they're hiding. And then just make a one inch ring around your character and move around the board like that. And that, that's think of that as a unit. So that'll always protect your character from the Shining Spears. Um, if, it, if only if only you had uh, all those Shuriken catapult shots to shoot at that chaff well, unit. Well, like I said, if you if they have the Shuriken catapults and they're shooting at that chaff unit, they're if you if you play correctly, they're in a position to to um for you to kill them next turn. Um, so yeah, you might still lose that character. Um, but just them shooting at that chaff unit, and it's not always in a guarantee, right? So you've got you've yeah. got twelve shots, um, maybe with a minus one to hit, probably not. Uh, you've got twelve shots, hitting on threes, winning on fours against most chaff units is going to kill seven, six dudes. So, so you know, if you if you're at if they're if you're at maximum range, that means that you can just take the dudes who are farthest away from the shining spears away, and then the shining spears have to make a long charge to get to you. Uh, it's just it's something to consider. It's it's another thing yeah. you can do is with rhinos. If you have like rhinos or razorbacks or vehicles, you can have those surround your characters. Um, but the whole point is to protect the things that the shining spheres kill, which is characters yeah. and fire raptors. Uh, one, <laughs> I think one thing we we kind of glossed over is one thing that makes shining spheres particularly deadly against those big models is they re-roll. Uh, wound rolls um, yes. when attacking monsters or vehicle yeah, keywords. I, yeah. So. Uh, that's pretty deadly when they're already, especially on the charge, hitting with such force. Um, but that does bring up, you know, a point of I think we were referencing a bit earlier, which is just the idea of whatever is on the table, um, just trying to make it as durable as humanly possible, and and finding places that you can, you know, hide your more squishy stuff, just like what the Eldar is really doing. You know, what's on the table is probably wave serpents, really really tough things to crack at range, um, you know, or stuff hiding in ruins. Um, you know, anything that's really that they really don't want you to kill isn't even available to be killed until it's brought on the table. Um, so when you look at things that what's doing well against this list, 
um, you know, recently there's it's still haven't really seen you know a, a top flying hive tire and performer here in uh, in North America that I'm aware of. But you know, in 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 the UK, uh, you know, same weekend as uh, as 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 I think LV, no weekend before the LVO Caledonian Uprising was won by seven flying hive tyrants and four mall walks and a bunch of spores. And the thing that makes that go is basically everything that was valuable was in reserve, except for I guess it was uh, seven uh, uh, spores and two rippers ripper swarms, uh, which were easy to hide. Literally couldn't give up first blood in that in that scenario, which was in play at that event. Um, and then when things did come in, uh, you have very tough monsters, uh, which uh, you know, which obviously high toughness, high wounds, uh, right in their face. The Malwax deal mortal wounds, but more more importantly are very annoying and the flying hive tyrant is a four up invuln um you know 12 rune monster often has a six up uh, feel no pain incredibly durable um so they really were uh, a, a perfect response to this this eldar list and has been i think doing quite well against them they also kill eldar really well too Oh yeah. yeah, I mean they they have like strength six shooting and spades. I mean that's basically all they have is strength six. The tyrant, <laughs> you know, the flying tyrant list. Um, you know, and the the Malwalks are strength six. You know, that's all you really need for for dealing with Eldar. Uh, and again, they match. They they go tit for tat with uh, with regards to mobility. Um, you know, both in the ability to deep strike and the ability to move. Flying hive tyrant. You know, moves 17 inches if it has adrenal glands. Um, you know, so it's a very you know, kind of out Eldar is the Eldar in, in a lot of ways, and it also hits hard against other stuff too. And they can also deny because they're psychic, they're psychers. Oh well, yeah. I mean, psychic defense is actually something we haven't really uh, stepped on uh, or, or touched on. Yeah, I was actually uh, going to yeah, segue into it. Oh, very good. Well, I'll just mention the tier to one. Kronos, um, you know, has a has a stratagem uh, with one of their high fleets, allows you to essentially turn off a power because it makes you makes you roll it on one d six. And you only have to be within 24 of a Kronos unit, so they're able to turn off, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a very key Eldar power, whether it's the, you know, the Unari one that allows them to use the Unari ability, or whether it's, uh, you know, the the move as if it's your movement phase ability, um, you know, just something that is really important that Tyranids can just take away. Yeah. So so let's talk about these psychic powers because they their stratagems they have really good stratagems that help with their psychic powers. Uh, and they also have really good psychic powers too, so it's a, it's a bit of both worlds. Um, the the first thing I think you want to look at is if, if you have an ability to shut down psychic powers. Uh, you mentioned something in the show notes that that I want to just kind of add into this now. That's picking a spot, right? Picking a spot and holding it, saying like this is this is my spot, and that that is it. I'm not going to try and overextend and let your dark reapers pick off my units. I'm going to stay in this spot. Preferably, it's a defensible position, uh, and win the game from this spot, right? I imagine that's what your thought process was. Uh, yeah, or or even picking a spot and forcing them to go there, you that, know, like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so so you want to make sure that that spot is in a, a position to deny at least one psyker the ability to either a cast powers uh, or b to be uh, anywhere meaningful. Um, it's a little hard to do because they do have the uh, concordance of power trait, which uh, it's only works for runes of battle psychic powers, so not all of their psychic powers disciplines, but the runes of battle are the better ones anyways. Um, you, where you double the range of the power that you manifest, 
right? So that that can be a big problem, right? Because then they can start casting powers uh, like like conceal, right? Um, or reveal, where where they take away your saving your saving throw at thirty six inch range. Uh, and I think yep. you don't even need to have yeah, you don't even need to have line of sight to the power. So if Jinx is another one that's very important. It's an 18-inch range. You just choose an enemy unit within 18 inches of the Psyker, so it's 36 inches, and then you're subtracting one from all saving throws made until your till until you, the Eldar player's next Psychic phase. So it's it's they can they can hurt you with with one Psychic one Psyker that you just you can't do anything about. It's just like that's just unfortunately unless you get in there and you kill that Psyker character, you're not going to do anything about. It. So you have to pay attention to what models have which psychic powers. That's very, very important. And once you do that, you have to pinpoint where the 24-inch guys are, where the guys who, you, the basically the ones without the runes of battle, uh, specifically the Words of Phoenix users, uh, and the Warlocks. That's like Ivrain, Ivrain's Swite, which is why I focus, I want to put so much focus on Ivrain, because she doesn't have the runes of battle, she has other things, like like the Word of the Phoenix and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you want to stay within 24 inches of of that psyker, and you want to make sure that it, that 24 inches is within a building near an objective um, where you're in striking distance of line breaker and protecting your deployment zone. It's it's hard. It's not easy to do. Um, one of the uh, yeah, and that's that's for just straight up denies. But one of the problems yeah. you run into is is that Eldar, as always, have janky buffs to actually casting stuff, so they can reroll um, they can reroll the actual psychic test. So, you know, yeah, you want to always give yourself a chance on a bad roll to, to deny a power, but, you know, sometimes it's going to be a little bit too high to even reach. Um, the thing that actually I, 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 don't, I couldn't name all of them off the top of my head, but there are definitely relics and, um, you know, stratagems out there that allow you to deny on a four up, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so that at least um, negates the, the need to be able to beat whatever the psychic test was. Those are huge. Um, so those would. Yeah, those would be like anyone who has access to that would want to think very carefully about how you deploy that and like match up against Eldar. Yeah, yeah, Black Templar scouts, Sisters of Battle units, Corn demons, uh, World Eaters units. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm thinking of Kronos, Kronos Tyranid units. Um, things like Ripper Swarms I think can do it too. I don't think it matters what Tyranid unit you use the Kronos ability for. Um, yeah, the yeah, it's just 24 inches of a Kronos unit. Yeah. yeah. So, so just thing, things like that. And in general, the, uh, the, the range is 24 inches. Another thing you can do, and a ton of codexes have access to this, um, specifically in the Warlord traits and Relic sections, is using those things to deny more powers. So uh, the reason why I'm bringing Custodes in a Supreme Command Detachment and making them my Warlord is there's a, war, a Custodes Warlord trait that lets you deny powers. Uh, I believe it also adds one to your deny result. And then there's also Custodes Stratagems that let you deny powers as if Custodes units were Psychics. And they also have some hmm. minor Psychic Defense, too. I think they get uh, Invuln saves or Feel No Pain saves on a 6-up against Mortal Wounds or something. It's, it's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, in a pure detachment, yeah. Right, so... Helps with Mortal Wounds. Helps with uh, Smite and stuff. Yeah, so so you, you want to you wanna grab little things like that. Because those... those I, I'm... I have no inside knowledge of this. This is just a very educated guess. But my thoughts are are that GW, the GW team put these intentionally into every single codex as much as they possibly could to protect people from things like these runes of battle powers or or like these psychic powered armies. They don't they didn't want psychers to dominate the game like they did in seventh edition, where it was is all about the psychic phase and psychic powers, right? So, uh, you, you know, take a take an extra look at your book. 
Um, maybe instead of getting the extra attack for your warlord or the extra cool little trick that you get for this relic, um, maybe just think about getting the boring generic relic that gives you plus one to a deny. Yeah. It's like, and, I, and I think, and I think too, uh, one thing not to get hung up on uh, is Ness. I think a lot of people are looking out for uh, Jinx or Doom. Doom allows you to reroll all wounds against a target. Um, you know, those are bad for sure. Not the best if you're you're on the receiving end of those things, but there are the sneaky stratagems. Uh, sorry, sneaky psychic powers too that might be a better target for your defense. Uh, and specifically, again, talking about shining spears and and then moving uh, as if it was the movement phase again, really extending their range, shutting that down at an inopportune time uh, will potentially leave them hung out to dry in the middle of the table. Absolutely. Um, you know, so you know, some that's not as sexy, or at least it doesn't seem as sexy as you know. You know, stopping a bunch of uh, you know dark reapers from re-rolling their wounds, but the dark reapers are probably going to kill what they're shooting at anyway. You know, so <laughs> it's it's uh, you know be careful what you what you choose and don't necessarily go for the the obvious sexy one. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> uh, barrage style weapons is one of the things I have in my note here. Um, that's just a real quick. If you have access to barrage style weapons. Uh, and you have like things, something like a Biovore or a Thunderfire Cannon or whatever, right? Rapier, Chaos Rapier Quad Launcher, whatever. Uh, and that unit can whittle down a Dark Reaper unit over time, even just a little bit. You, you know, even if they just kill two units, because Dark Reapers don't ignore morale, right? They, so you know, yeah. And, and they they are kind of still expensive. Like they're, they're obviously they're cheap for what they do, but they do still take up points, and they're really easy to kill. Even with that minus one to hit, because the, uh, if, if they're a Lytok, which they should be, <clears throat> so you you want you kind of want those barrage weapons just to kind of poke and whittle your opponent down um, to lower their board presence. It's something you can. It's very easy to do to Eldar because they're such low toughness, not very durable models. And a, and you know and a big deal, especially if you're playing on FLG terrain uh, or or anything that's got a lot of line of sight blockers. Uh, because they're infantry and they have access to the fire and fade stratagem, they can also do what we used to see in seventh all the time, which is uh, you know move, shoot, and then jump out of the way. Um, so that is um, that is having that barrage, or at least the ability to shoot things that are not in line of sight, you know whatever you want to call that, um, is is really key because they can just get out of the way. <laughs> so you want to be able to dig them out. So uh, one final thing, and then I, I think I'm pretty much done on this subject, uh, is to try and take the bottom of the turn um, and create end game quote unquote scenarios uh, for yourself or for for the Eldar player specifically. Um, so what an end game scenario is is at the end of the game when you have to score objectives, uh, that's an end game scenario, right? So if you make the swings, if you make the swing points in the game, the end game points. Things like line breaker, last laugh, uh, end of game objectives, um, table quarters. I don't know. Just look at your mission packet and look for things that can be scored at the end of the game, um, and make it so the Eldar player needs to do those to beat you. And then try and take the bottom of the turn every time and play conservatively. I would say that in general, that is a route to, to towards beating Eldar players. Is it, no matter what your list is. Um, <clears throat> Because they're, they're, if you're forcing that, if you're forcing them to have to take the initiative and do things to score points at the end of the game, then you are more likely to kill them and do the things that you need to do to 
to win the game in those end game points, right? Because that's because that's where Eldar are weakest, right? Because uh, if you have something like a Nurgle play or Nurglings, perfect example, Nurglings. If you're a Nurgle player and you have your Nurglings, at the end of the game, if those Nurglings are holding an objective, do you want those Nurglings to be holding an objective, or do you want a unit of Dark Reapers to be holding that objective? You you want right. the Dark Reapers to hold that every single time, without question. Like Dark Reapers are just way easier to kill than Nurglings. Um, so that's what I mean, right? Is is you have to think about your end game scenarios, and you have to think about uh, what what units you want where, right? So do you want a shining spear unit in your line breaker? I I would personally think you should get rid of the shining spears so they can't get line breaker. Um, so forcing thus forcing like a unit like the remaining five guardians to try and get them line breaker. Um, so that way you only have to kill five guardians instead of having to kill a lone shining spear who can just move. 22 inches onto the opposite side, opposite side of your deployment zone, and get them line breaker. Just little things like mm-hmm. that. So think, think about your end game scenarios. Create the best ones for yourself, and when it possible, always take the second turn um, and force them to take the initiative in movement and scoring. That's that's yep. just my my final blanket statement for for how would, how you beat Eldar. And I would say um, that works really well if you've been built if you've built for durability and you've built to use your reserves well and you can really weather that first turn storm. If you if you're orcs <laughs> uh, and you can't do that, you know a first turn against them uh, probably is is your best bet. And I think there it's the other stuff we talked about, which is uh, you know go up go go take as much of the board as you can and and make them because a lot of their stuff is likely in reserves. Uh, try and limit where they can put stuff. Um, and then at least hopefully you're dictating some turns uh, of, of the battle and, um, you know, you can hopefully weather things well enough uh, to be able to get your, your assault units up close and, and do, the, do the dirty work where Eldar are going to start to fall apart. Yeah, that's <clears> – I <throat> uh, I think that Orc players can possibly build a durable list. Um, though it is really hard mm. to hide like a hundred boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried with my my strong point of killer, right? That's that's, that's kind of the the idea behind it was was hiding, you know, um, a lot of boys or actually storm storm boys in it so that they could weather uh, an alpha strike. Um, but you know, in general, I think you know the best defense that orcs tend to have is just more orcs than the enemy can deal with. Um, Eldar, especially one with a, a nice guardian blob, which will be my last point about Eldar because we didn't really talk about some of the beautifulness of the guardian blob um one thing that i'd love to point out is that it is going to be often placed down and then supported with things that make it incredibly durable to the point that you wouldn't necessarily see it uh until it's uh until you've already probably dumped a bunch of shots into it and that's mainly uh the jankiness that is the heavy weapons platforms in it so if i recall correctly the heavy weapons platforms within the unit have a three plus save am i correct about that pablo uh, believe so. Let me let me. Yes, they check. do. Yeah. So do. it's it's one is it's a pretty rare example of a unit with a mixed armor save. So and because the uh, controlling player is able to you know uh, assign the wounds in eighth edition, um, you know they can be given benefits uh, to juice up that 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 armor save. Uh, you know, to a two plus. Simply put, if they're in cover, for example, uh, or if. Um, uh, there's also, you know, either psychic powers or stratagems that they they can use to buff that. They can also easily have a uh, a, a pretty decent invulnerable uh, through use of the. Again, I believe it's a stratagem. Um, so all of a sudden, you have what looks to be a really squishy, pretty big, and very shooty unit sitting in the middle of the table uh, that is also incredibly hard to kill. The units 
can tank a lot of wounds off of those heavy weapon platforms. Um, and they're two wounds each. So, you know, if you're on a two-up save, you can go. We all remember trying to kill, um, uh, you know, Super Friends and Death Stars, uh, you know, eight months ago. <laughs> uh, that's essentially, you know, the same concept there. Tanking wounds on, you know, a, a very high invuln or a high armor save and making that unit really, really hard to kill. So, again, that might be a bit of a MacGuffin that your opponent throws out there. These Guardians that look like they're going to just unleash hell. Maybe they just did. Seems like the squishiest option for you to go kill because the uh, Shining Spears have a native 4-up invulnerable save. Um, the reality is those Guardians are pretty tough to dislodge, especially when they're juiced up. So, yeah, yeah. And, again, Shining Spears first, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to reiterate, I just want to give a quick list of, of potential buffs that Guardians can, can get. Right. So so they, they get access to Conceal and Protect, to Psychic Powers from the Runes of Battle Disciplines, to get an extra minus one to hit on top of being a Lytok, and also uh, adding one to their saving throws. Um, so you have four up saves for Guardians and two up saves for the 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 um, battery thing. Uh, you also can get a four up invuln with Celestial Wings, Celestial Defenders, uh, or Celestial Wings, whatever the Celestial Shield I think is what it's called. Celestial Shield, yeah. So, which which gives them just a flat four up invuln, um, which which is huge. It's obviously a big deal. Um, and then and... they're not they're not a small unit. They're thirty wounds, right? Or, or twenty wounds. I, I think they can go up to thirty. Well, it'd be no, it's just it'd just be 20. it'd be eighteen, it'd be what eighteen uh, guardians plus the two platforms, so, so it's 22 like twenty-two wounds. wounds. So, yeah. so it's so it's twenty-two wounds uh, with a, a four plus plus invuln, a four up, possibly a three up save, minus two to hit, uh, and this this thing is also putting out forty, sixty shots, right? Uh, a stupid amount of shots. Yeah. And, it, and if you if you have uh, if you have plus if you have protect on that unit too, that involve juices up to a three plus. Yes, you're right. So it's just <laughs> it's um it's a very very durable unit, uh, and it's also hard to tie up too unless unless you can successfully block uh, a single model and triangulate it so that it can't go anywhere. Um, they can still leave combat and shoot with a stratagem. Uh, so so you definitely want to be really careful. Uh, when you charge them and when you counter charge them, also their Overwatch is going to be really nasty, um, and they can also get plus one to wound with psychic powers in close combat. Um, so, it, which it doesn't sound like much, but when you have, if you charge them with something like Seraphim or or Nurglings or or some sort of small little chaff unit that just happens to be there because they are a Guardian squad, they're not so they deep strike. So you can't just choose to charge them with whatever you want. You got to charge them with whatever you have, or whatever's mobile enough to get to them. Um, uh, so those that Overwatch combined with the extra additional bonuses in close combat um, will most likely kill something small like a scout, like a scout model, right? Maybe ruining your plans to tie them up. So it's just it's just a very very hard unit to deal with. Um, and, and I'm glad you you gave it its due Val, because you're right, we didn't talk about it enough. And we're just gonna assume everyone knows about Dark Reapers at this point. Yeah, dark. They're not nice. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, their their exarchs shoot things out of line of sight. Um, basically, supercharged heavy bolters and things out of line of sight that I think are two d six shots each, um, and they kill it, most things. Period. Dead. I think that's it. That, that's all we need to say about dark reapers. Um, dang right. <laughs> oh, one one final thing. Um, and, and I know I this is actually officially the last thing. Um, one thing that caught me off guard. 
uh, when I was playing Reese, is that they're, they've got two stratagems in particular that can really throw you off plans that I want you to look out for, because they, they're, they're not always used, but when you use them to affect, and when your opponent doesn't realize them, realize what they do, um, they can be devastating. And that's the redeploy power, or the redeploy stratagem. Um, so a lot of times what I see Elder player, and what Reese did to me, was he he put his avatar of Kane and and a unit of Dire Avengers, a big unit of Dire Avengers, like off in a corner, more than nine, more than like twelve inches away from the edge. So I was like, haha, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, deploy my scout, or I'm gonna infiltrate my aggressors here, my primaris aggressors here, haha. And then he redeployed his avatar of Kane so that it was in close combat with my aggressors. And I was like, oh well, that sucks. Like that's that's not cool. Right, and that's obviously that's an extreme, but it's something I, I want to point out to you guys. But you can also use it, it on the flip side. You can use it so that you deploy. Uh, maybe they deploy a unit of guardians, that big unit of guardians, um, and you have the first turn, and they deploy it kind of like out in the open, on their front line, like in a very vulnerable position. You're thinking like, oh, cool, I can kill this unit of guardians. So you set up and make me make yourself more vulnerable than you would have before to try and kill that unit of guardians. And then at the end of the deployment phase, they go, oh, sorry, this guardians unit is actually in behind this building, out of line of sight, on this objective. Good luck, sucker. And by the way, I'm going to seize the initiative and kill your your units that we're going to kill as guardians. Or whatever. Good, right? times. Good times. Right. So, so that deployment, that redeployment stratagem is something you always want to think about in the back of your mind. Which is why I say play conservatively. Like, just... Don't worry about whatever they're doing. Keep an eye on where the Dark Reapers are, um, where the Dark Reapers could be, and just play defensively and play towards the late game. That's why it's also one of the reasons why I suggest that. And then the second stratagem <clears throat> is the um, the uh, shoot the uh, oh the the farseer the farseer um, war forewarning stratagem the one where the farseer yeah, the Dark Reapers can shoot at whatever they want as long as the farseer can see it. Uh, and as long as they're within six inches of a Farseer. Um, so so that's very, very critical. Because if you have a unit of, like, six Dark Reapers on an, a bastion, an Imperial Bastion, with the Farseer hiding in them so you can't kill the Farseer, uh, they'll essentially be able to forewarning anything they want. Um, hitting on threes. And, and kill it. Right? So that's... Yeah. that's so, and that's when they're being set up out of reserves. Like, uh, on a deep strike or, yes. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So that's, it's that's like, an, it's like a really nasty intercept. It, yeah, it can it can be brutal, um, and just the fact that there's no minus one to hit when you when you uh, when you use it instead of like the normal ones like the Auspex scan and stuff or Space Marines what they have. Uh, so there's no minus one to hit, and it's an unlimited range. It's not within 12 inches. It's just unlimited range. Uh, so even even if you're just deep striking like Celestine onto an objective half a board away. You know, those, the Dark Reapers will still be able to shoot her if, of course, she was the closest model or whatever. You get my point. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's just those two stratagems. Just they're they're two very important stratagems that uh, you don't really think about when you think about Eldar and, and how powerful they are. But they're definitely stuff you want to watch out for. And then they happen to you once, and you can't stop thinking about them from there on. Yep, forever. So hopefully, I have you guys thinking about them nonstop because they <laughs> happen to me. But I, I've I've lost two games to both of those stratagems and I will never forget those stratagems again. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Val, is there anything else you want to say about Eldar? Um, no, they're really, really good. And even if you do all this stuff that we told you, they're still really, really good. Right. And if you have any, they questions, can be beaten though. I think, I think that's, that's the key. And, and what, what, 
what that list is going to do, I think, is you're going to see a, a real real shift in how lists are constructed. Like, I, I for one, kind of like having a big fish out there, like Dark Reapers uh, or, or Shiny Spears that go out and eat Fire Raptors or Mortarians, because that means I'm less likely to see Fire Raptors and Mortarians. You know, so I, as far as the ecosystem of 40k goes, I really don't mind this one. Uh, maybe I'm kind of offside on that one. I think... It's really, really strong. I think um, that's that goes without saying. I mean, there were four, four, four very good players who who got uh, into the uh, into the finals at LVO, and we see this thing winning tournaments all over the place. Um, but at the same time, I think there are ways to be crafty against them, to give them a real hard day at the office. And now that a lot of their tricks are so well documented, that you know maybe people can start list designing around them. Right, and and you you brought you brought up a great point in that that they're they're not they're they're beatable that you know they're not like seventh edition death stars or oh my god seventh edition renegade lists if you guys remember seventh edition renegade lists with uh screamer stars so is is a mini mini death star in a renegade list so you had these bodies endless shooting an unkillable death star and bait weaver yeah. for kicks that was that was a tr- one of those truly unbeatable lists um that yeah. you just you couldn't deal with like it was just it was impossible to deal with and when the that particular list um and a big deal too is is also i mean we we flog this horse a lot not just here but you know you guys do on signals but just the lots of terrain you know i i really believe that one of the reasons dark reapers rose to such prominence for example in the uh in in certain areas of the of 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 competitive 40k is just like i suspect some places just aren't playing with enough line of sight blocking terrain um and if that still hasn't like if if nottingham is is out there cobbling together line of sight blockers they've gotten the message uh then then you know i think it's time everyone looks at their terrain and and you know either has a building night or whatever get that going because it's not just this build that that gets suffered if dark reapers you know if dark reapers can't see anything you know they're not very good um so yeah i think terrain makes a huge difference about this because yeah anything that's heavy shooting um definitely will suffer once you add in more terrain yeah so guys we just spent and almost almost an hour drilling you uh, with tips and strategies and tactics to beat Eldar. However, some of the things we said might be moot because we have an FAQ coming in March. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, first off, I'd like to say that Eldar do not need to be nerfed hard. They don't. They, the nerf bat doesn't need to beat them into a bloody pulp. Um, as uh, tournament 40k expert Sean Naden told me, that if the Eldar Eldar the powerful units in the Eldar Codex get lowered, uh, the Eldar Codex will become a husk of what it used to be, in the sense that the rest of the Codex is subpar compared to the most powerful units, and especially the stratagems and the psychic powers. And he made a really compelling argument that I, yeah. I won't expand on here, but I, I, it did sway me over. I did ended up agreeing with him. Um, and so uh, I asked, uh, listening to what Sean Naden said, I asked some of the best Eldar players in the world what they thought should be fixed about the faction and the consensus among them was that Eldar should be nerfed. Eldar are this really strong faction. Um, they all seemed to focus around very, very the the same nerfs that they felt Eldar should be nerfed, and also the same core units, right? So the big one by mile that I think GW will definitely fix is the making the Inari abilities and stratagems only work on Inari faction units, right? So basically, no cross faction buffs or no cross codex buffs. 
Because right now you don't lose your craft world. Yes. It's, right. It's so if you're dumb. you can be Unari and other things, uh, and that's kind of kind of a, a, a of an issue. Yeah. Right? Right. Unari in general, by the way, I think pro- like that whole mechanic, I think brutal. Uh, although although it's been although it's already been ratcheted back, um, it is it's a questionable mechanic. And I think would this list be as deadly if you didn't have your brain in it? It would still be very good, but would it be just just sad like would it just make everyone sad yeah, well, <laughs> i don't know no. yeah if you remember if you take away ivrain you still have quicken so you can still double move shining spears right yeah. uh, you still have the ability to advance and charge which is kind of like art charging in the movement phase or or something i i don't know yeah, but Ivrain you're right adds you can do all those things plus more plus ivrain yeah you're right you're right you know? it, so like if if, if Yunari was just like you just took the knees off it. Like I, I think you don't really need to adjust much else. I don't know. And and here's the problem too as well is is Inari the only identity the Inari faction has is the three characters and the stra- or the the ability strength from death. That's it. Oh, they have psychic powers too. I guess. Or oh, they have word of the phoenix and five other yeah. powers no one uses. So so um, the, it's it's not it's it's hard. For GW to look at that faction and go like, okay, like we're gonna nerf this into the ground because they're essentially killing a faction. We don't know what the future for Inari is because what, what it, faction? It, that's it, the like, thing though. Is, is you got three special characters in it? Like, right. I mean, maybe they could just ask like, what, what, what were we trying to do right, with right. the Inari thing? Like something cool based on things dying. Let's go to that concept and just you know work now, from there. Now remember. Inari, the Inari faction is supposed to be the future of the Eldar and the Fluff, right? So, so like we have to talk. I, we don't we don't talk about Fluff often in this podcast, but we have to to predict what GW is going to do in the future, right? So, so Inari are are they're supposed to combat Slanesh and what Slanesh has done to to like trap Eldar souls and consume them, right? So the Incarn and and the Inari and the the Goddess of Death or whatever they're supposed to bring back the Eldar race to power, right? So so we can only assume that the Inari are going to get more in the future, maybe even their own codex, right? Especially because GW has been doing a phenomenal job of making new codexes for these for these uh, uh, factions that we didn't really see a lot. Like uh, Gene Circle was the first big one, but obviously they did a really good job with Death Guard. They did a good job with Thousand mm-hmm. Suns. Um, so they, they have the ability to just pop out a codex with a new model range, just like, poof, here you go. So... Inari, sure. I think, are going to get the codex treatment. Um, so you can't nerf them too badly. But at the same sure time... You can. well, no. Because they can be whatever they're going to be in the codex, and in, in the meantime, you can just you can just cap, kneecap them. I think, what, I think... what Eldar player <laughs> is running an actual Yunari army? What fluff bunny None of them. actually has... There, there like, no, but nobody has like a, a painted... Um, okay, there's probably somebody, but like <laughs> for the most part, most Eldar players like that I've seen groan about the Yunari fluff... And like I said, it's just the game mechanic was overpowered when it came out, and it was overpowered because it was cut pasted to eighth for some reason. And then hilariously, everyone freaked out when it was when it was very rightfully nerfed, I guess in the in the fall. And it's still at a point where it's wildly potent and sort of really game tilting. So I don't know. No, That's I, the, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, though I think that that GW also recognizes that Inari might be a future faction. 
um, so they might not change their identity too much. Which, unfortunately, this is what their identity is. The strength from death rule will forever and always will be the identity of the Inari. They could get a whole no. the whole new codex treatment and what are you talking about. <laughs> it can be whatever they want it to be. This is they, they literally make this stuff up, guys. The strength from death could mean anything, and I think I, maybe I if there's a takeaway. But it could totally mean anything. What are you talking about, man? Anyways, it, the point is is that we need to stop the cross the cross faction bosses yes, and bonuses. One hundred percent. I think GW is going yeah. to fix that no matter what. Next, shining spears are probably going to get a points increase, though. I will argue that if Shining Spears get a points increase over three or four points a model and Inari get buffed, that's heavy-handed. That's too much. I think you can you can um, nerf the Inari being able to being used on Shining Spears, and then that way Shining Spears... Because Shining Spears are really only amazing because of what Inari, the Word of the Phoenix, and what they bring to the table. Right. No, I don't know. D- double, I mean, you They're said really before, good. double, double move, they, double move, and the and the advance and charge. You're right. I mean, they're still good. <laughs> You're right. They're really yeah. good, which is why I still think they should go up in points by like one or two points. I don't think they should go up by like five points. It's probably sure. too much, but one or two points with uh, taking away Inari, I think that's perfect. I think that's that's right where we yeah. want them to. Because remember, we still need something to kill uh, Magnus, Mortarian, and Fire Raptors. Because I also don't want to see those spammed. And Shining Spears do a really good job of reining those in, and also reining in character spam. Uh, maybe not. And they're cool them. as hell. They're also pretty I mean, they're, cool. <laughs> they're 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 like they're a great unit. Like they're close. They're a, like really awesome. Fly everywhere. Beat the shit out of everything. Eldar unit. Like yeah. that's wicked. They're they're dudes with with lances. Come on. That's they true. Just, I mean, I hope they don't get hit too hard. No, I, but I they're hope great. They don't either. They're, they're, they are. They're, I think they're good for the game. Uh, Dark Reapers, uh, they're obviously going to be the big ones, and I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a points increase on Tempest Launchers. Um, that was pretty much what everyone said, was like, don't increase their points cost, but increase Tempest Launchers, which I kind of disagree with. Um, I think they could probably go up in points, one or two points. But specifically, you need to make them five-man squads. There's, there's no reason why Dark Reapers are three-man squads, whereas the rest of the Aspect Warriors are all five-man units. So that's interesting. Yeah. Like why it, it, you're making it easier to spam te- their most broken weapon, which is the Tempest launcher. So which only the Exarch can take. So it's just like, dark reapers yeah, need to get I, fixed. With with regards to the Tempest launcher, I I'm just based on the uh the alarm that's been caused by by their its presence and just how like Dark Reapers go from being pretty good versus hordes to just deleting hordes. Um I suspect the Tempest launcher is going to get like that uh, you know, uh, malefic lord treatment of just yes. being pointed pointed out of the game uh, because it's not an active model. I don't think. Um, no, and it has. If, it, it, the tempest does it have a model? The, it's the two cannon gun, right? There's like when I'm looking at the dark reaper kit. There's like their basic okay. can cannon. I'm talking out of my ass. And then I, I'm call, is, I, I might be wrong too. I'm but, betting. Well, it's not. It's 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 an. Uh, yeah. Oh, actually, no. It's not an index choice. It's a codex choice. Okay. I don't know. I suspect it's going to get pretty heavily like hit hard right i I think (laughs) so and and if it's and if dark reapers are the only casualty of the nerf to eldar um i I think i'll be a little disappointed um especially if it's that heavy-handed the but but essentially we need dark reapers in the game like you need dark reapers out there but but remember dark reapers have an identity they're the heavy weapons long-range specialists. They're not the catch-all, I-will-shoot-everything-and-kill-it guys 
Like literally it, murder everything. Right. They're like like remember Warp Spider's last edition, seventh edition? Warp Spiders oh, could yeah. kill like literally everything in the game. There was almost nothing Warp Spiders couldn't kill in the game. And that 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 that's not what they were meant to do. Warp Spiders are meant to go in there and and monitor chaff and be sneaky and tricky and and hit and runny. Right, that that's what they're that's what they are. They're not meant to just teleport down and destroy people and also be surprisingly well in close combat. Surprisingly in, in mm. seventh edition. But that Dark Reapers, they need the, the their identity is they need to be the heavy weapons specialists teams and that's it. Like they, that's it. As far as they go. So yeah. um and one final thing that a player suggested that resonated with me a little bit, and that he said that we we should GW instead should buff other units in the codex. Um, he specifically gave the Avatar of Cain, Dire Avengers, and Wraith units as a specific example, um, and that's something that would promote diversity in the faction, uh, and that's something that I personally agree with. I think <clears throat> I'm always in favor of of buffing and nerfing simultaneously, mm-hmm. not just doing one or the other, uh, and that's oh, just yeah. from my years of, of playing in different competitive scenes, right? Um, if you nerf too much, eventually you just create like if you nerf and ban so many things, you're essentially creating a whole new meta, right? Um, and vice versa if you buff if you buff too much, so you kind of have to create a balance there. <clears throat> I mean, that goes without saying. Like any any adjustments that happen here will shift the meta. I mean, that's just people using that as an argument against making adjustments. Okay, uh, just hopefully it's something that's a bit more agreeable and not as overwhelming an advanced class to be able to counter. That's, I guess, the the real ultimate objective of, quote, balance. Just that something isn't so difficult to beat that it's a turnoff for the majority of players. I think Eldar really are, they, I don't know, they're borderline there. I mean, I think it took LVO by storm, but I mean, the competitive community will start to, to come up with things to counter these units and these strategies. There's just stuff in here that's a little too potent, and hopefully GW uses judicious uh, nerfs where they do it uh, and doesn't come in just over the top. Because you're right, there is the risk of just making this whole list obsolete. Uh, with regards to buffing, though, they did hint when they announced their um, schedule of FAQs and errata. They did hint that it would be not just nerfs, but also, you know, what units aren't we seeing? You know, is there something that they, that they can do to to bring other stuff up? Which is what I was really hoping to see in chapter approved. And I don't know if it was just the timelines, and that's why we didn't see it in chapter approved or what. But um, I'm hoping, just like you just suggested, that yeah, we see not just all these big bogeymen come down, but that they actually address some of the units that. You know, aren't getting any love, not just with Eldar, but across all the codexes and armies. And 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 just to to highlight chapter approved, Orca, because I want to defend GW here. Um, it, chapter approved did buff units. They did like like there were quite a few units that got buffed. Uh, obviously, the Fire Raptor, which never needed to get buffed, but did get a points decrease. Um, and yeah, also and orcs, Primaris orcs, Marines orcs benefited. Yeah, or, orcs, yeah. orcs got a uh, little bit of buffs. Marines, huge. Space Wolves no got a lot of buffs and points decreases. Um, so, so there were, there were there. They didn't focus on all of the factions equally, um, but mm-hmm. I think there were equal nerfs and buffs if you were to spread it out across like a spreadsheet. So I might be wrong, yeah. but that, it definitely that, felt that way. I mean, I suppose what I'm saying is like I think in like the original General's Handbook, you actually had a few data slates. You know, what I'm saying like there were there there was just opportunities. I think that they could have gone further to either you know write new rules or whatever it might have been. And anyway, this is all moaning that we've already heard about. <laughs> Chapter approved, uh, I think, did a lot of wonderful things too. Uh, I just hope to see, you know, an active presence in the game to sort of help highlight 
um, you know, some of the units that are underperforming and bring down some of the units that maybe are a little too hot. Except for Flying Hive Tyrants, because I own seven now. So no, no, those are fine. I think and, and fine. things, things like fine. Plague Burst Crawlers, uh, Flying Hold on, I have to cough. Is he okay? I'm back. Pablo, Pablo, are you okay? I am okay. I'm sorry. Actually, what happened was is my, my daughter walked into the living room and stared at me and immediately needed to cough. That is exactly what happened. Not joking. That's strange. Yeah. Strange. So Witch, little, witchcraft. Little, Nurgle, Nurgle spawn, man. Um, there you go. But uh, wh- wh- where was I? What was I saying? We were talking about chapter approved. Uh... Chapter approved. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll go. We'll get move on to the end of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. Before we end, I, I have a request, a humble request of my viewers. Uh, you guys send in your lists and advice and rules questions all the time. Um, to me, and I just humbly ask for some advice in return. Uh, I have an Adepticon list. I, I'm i working very hard to get it painted and based. Um, there's a lot of models. I think it was a little too ambitious, um, but I just wanted to give a quick rundown of my list. I'm not going to post it online, um, mostly because I, I don't really want to, because it, it's, it'll be fluid, and I don't want to kind of sell myself to a list um, online on this paper. Is, this is abuse of power, but I'll allow it. <laughs> well, so so just let me know what you guys think. So I've got a Space Marine Battalion. I haven't decided whether I want Raven Guard or White Scars chapter tactics yet. And the reason why I'm going between those two is because I, I I'm not gonna make uh one of I'm not gonna make the Space Marine captains in the battalion my warlords, um because I want the custodes in in my army to be with the warlords because of their good warlord traits and also the, their relics. They need their relics. Um, so no warlord traits, no relics out of the space marine codex, uh, but a space marine battalion with two smash fucker jump pack captains, which, um, they don't know. It's basically a jump pack captain with a thunder hammer and a storm shield. And that's it. They're very, very cheap. 129 points. Um, pretty good. Uh, three units of scouts, three units of scout bikers with storm bolters, uh, for the DACA. They're very, very good underrated unit. One thunder fire cannon all by his lonesome. For that mm. that tremor shell stratagem, which uh, can win you games, and then I've got an imperial soup detachment with Celestine, a primary psyker, and or a company commander. I haven't decided which. I'm kind of going back and forth there on that. Uh, the Celestine has a Gemini uh, chick with her, maybe two if I can fit the other one. Um, <clears throat> three units of of guard infantry to just kind of fill out my backfield and take objectives with ten wound bodies. Uh, an assassin, a Calidus assassin, and two units of Seraphim with Inferno pistols to take advantage of double moving and ki- killing things like tanks and stuff. Because uh, shooting four Inferno pistols twice when you're in combat is usually pretty good because they're basically melted guns. And then a Custodes attachment with three Vexilus Praetor shield captains on jet bike dudes. Uh, and then two of them will have a three up invuln. And one will be my warlord. And that's it. That's the list. Very character heavy. I'm focusing on beating Eldar, and I'm focusing on um, beating Chaos Alpha Strike focused Chaos. Yes. So things like like uh, like Nurglings or, or large Chaos Blobs or things like the Renegade style list with lots of bodies. I think I'll have trouble with, um, which is why I added the Scout Bikers. But I'm not sure. Just in general, what what do you guys think of the list? For those it's of too you bad because you're attention. not anticipating the new Necron meta. Is the Necron Codex coming out before Adepticon? No, I mean the like 
index Necrons, it's going to be the new thing, man. Oh, you know what, man? I'm just hoping I dodged all the Necron players on the way to the top eight. <laughs> that's that's it. I, there there's a couple matchups that I'm like like suit like Death Watch, hoping you don't play Ooh. Death Watch player. Death, um, death's in the name, <laughs> dude. Death is in the Go, name. Uh, Goliath spam Gene Stealer Cole Army. It's very terrifying. Um, Actually, I've never read that data site. <laughs> Could be good. You don't even maybe. know. Maybe. You don't know. You don't see them, so you just assume assume the worst. But anyways, so that's the list, guys. Let me know what you guys think. And, of course, as always, you guys can email me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. If you have any, if you want any list advice, uh, or if you just have any questions, or if you just want to chat, I'm always there to talk to you guys. I haven't been as good with my emails as I have been lately, um, so if you're listening to this and wondering why I haven't responded, uh, I've just been very busy with work and other things, um, but I do eventually respond to all of them, and I, when I do respond, I usually follow up with other questions, too. I try to make it more of a conversation for those of you who take the time to email me. <clears throat> Nice. All right, Val, any any final words you want to add? I just want to say that I know you've been leaning on some some 40K luminaries for your intel, some big-name drops. Well, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to reach out and say that if I said anything smart about Eldar today, it's because of my man, Conrad Motika. It's because of Stephen Pamprin and Stephen Burris, my roommates from LBO. These guys helped me out a lot. So if there's one good thing, it was probably their words that I cut and pasted. Nice. Steven Pamprin, he's the guy with the orc dice shaker, right? Yes, that's yeah, he had some notoriety for that. He was running uh, he did really well with Storm Boys at at uh, Nova. At Nova. Yeah. And uh yeah, he had what's I think he called it the dice rattle and uh yeah, it was actually a really cool system for speed rolling a lot of dice. Uh I prefer to use an app as uh was famously noted on the last show, so uh yeah, I'm a bit more civilized than Steven is. Yeah, Steven's Steven's a smart guy. He's he's uh he's my boy. He's awesome. But Steven has probably lost to every single uh very good 40k player uh and uh he's just knocking on that door. So maybe one day you'll see him at the top of an event. Oh, I'm sure I will, especially if he keeps up his rate of going to large events. But <clears throat> Steven's and Conrad, thank you for helping Val and Val. Of course, thank you for being an amazing co-host as always. Well, I am a co-host. I don't know about amazing. All right, guys. Thanks very much for listening. This has been another great episode. Have a good one. Cheers.